get out from under that yoke. Well, good morning. Thank you, brother. Thank you for singing for us and sharing. Before we move on, um, missing a piece of paper. Don't worry, it's not my notes. I have those. I don't know. It's gone bye-bye. It has escaped into the ether. So I will read that later when I find it. Uh, what I want to do is have you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we continue to walk through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, I want to focus this morning, as we continue to walk through this, on what really matters. If you're here this morning, you want to know what really matters. What is the point? What is the focus? What is the main concern? I want to share that with you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. And here's what I know, that we as human beings are prone to division. We break ourselves up into little bitty groups, and we stick to those who are most like us and conform to us, and because of that, we find ourselves segmented in culture, in life. It's no different in the church than outside of the church. Many times in church, we find ourselves broken up into little groups, and what God tells us in his word is that we have been saved not simply as individuals. But we've been saved into a body. We've been saved into a family. We've been saved into a group of other sinners who have been rescued that we might proclaim the goodness of a God who can take sinners who hate one another and make them saints who love one another. And I don't know about you, but that is nothing short of a miracle. And that's the goodness of God. And I hope you know that what we're celebrating this morning as we gather together is that God has assembled each of us from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different socioeconomic groups, different genders. He's put us all together for his glory that we might proclaim his goodness, that he rescues and redeems from all the nations into a family that is his. And because we've been rescued... It should change the way we live. Because we've been saved, it should change the way we view this life and each other. And what Paul's been doing throughout the letter to Corinth in, this, in 1 Corinthians is he's been pointing to the fact that divisions that have arisen are not results of the gospel. Those are results of human sinfulness that we naturally divide and break up into groups. But the gospel itself, the good news of Christ and what he did on the cross, is actually anti-division. It is a unifier. Not the least of which was us It brings to together those but who have also been enemies. me to you. That God has broken down, as he says in his word, the wall of hostility and has made from two men one. I don't know about you, but in a world like we live in today... That is what is needed. Rescue by Christ, breaking down walls of hostility, and uniting people together in his one kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul shares with us 
what really matters. What is most important? And I don't know about you, but you want simple life, don't you? You hate complicated, right? You don't want it all complicated. You want life to be simple. Just give me three things to do, Jason, and I'll do it, right? You just want simple life, no complications. Well, can I help you? God's word makes it as simple as possible for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand with me as I read God's word. We're going to go all the way to chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to include chapter 11, verse 1 with us as we read this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Here's what Paul writes. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Verse 29, I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we study this morning to understand your word. God, I pray for the other churches in our community that preach the gospel. God, I'm thankful for churches around us that are not ashamed to preach Jesus crucified. And so, God, I pray you'll bless them. I pray you'll guard us at Fairhaven from territorial views. God, I pray that we will not view other churches in our community as enemies or as competition. But, God, we would see that we are together in the gospel that we are seeking to proclaim Jesus from different places so that more and more people will trust in Jesus. So God, bless the churches in our community that teach the truth faithfully. God, be with the pastors who are going to proclaim it. God, be with the friends of mine who are going to be preaching this morning. Matt Moore at Cedarview, be with him. Be with Wade Humphreys at Longview Point. Be with my friend Mike Leake in First Baptist Church, Marionville, Missouri. God, I pray that as these men stand up and preach the gospel, you will use them as vessels, as instruments, that you might draw people to yourself and you might save them. God, use me in this time. God, forgive me of where I sin. Forgive me of where I fail. God, forgive me when I haven't studied as I should have. Forgive me when I've put too much in a sermon than I should have. God, forgive me. Instead, God, I pray what people will see is not me. I pray, God, they will see you. And I pray you'll use your word to feed your sheep. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I have all of my notes on one page. That is either very comforting or very scary. But what I want to point out to you this morning is that this focus of this text is not individualistic. The focus of this, test, of this text is not individuals. It's more the group, the family, others seems to be the focus of what Paul is teaching here. Now, to catch everybody up on what we've been talking about, just in case you haven't been reading 1 Corinthians with us, Paul has been addressing this church in Corinth, which was a large church that had a lot of different ideas flowing in, a lot of different religious backgrounds, a lot of different idols and worship going on. And, God, and Paul is writing to this church that he helped start while he shared the gospel in Corinth. The church has started. They've grown up. They've started to mature. And yet, imagine this, even in a church, they have problems. 
They have divisions. They're broken into groups. They, they're following after things that, that are uh, for human desire, not, not, not that are, uh, are centered on Christ. They're focusing their own desires many times. And what Paul is doing is he's writing to them with the gospel once again to point them back to the truth of what God has done for them, how he's rescued them, how he's changed them, and how they're to live among each other with that understanding. Now, here's the problem. Inside the group of the church, it's not a problem, but it's what causes some of these issues. Inside the church at Corinth are people from different backgrounds. Some of them are Jewish, some of them are Gentile, and just so you know, when you grow up in different households, sometimes you believe different things, and sometimes you have different rules and regulations about what's okay and what's not. We can go from house to house, and we might differ on what those are. Well, just so you know, when Christians get together in the house of God, they also had differences about what the rules were. What could you leave? Legally do? What could you not do? Are we supposed to hold to the law of Moses still? Are we still supposed to do all the ceremonial cleanliness laws? Or are those gone? What about the dietary laws? Do we still follow those? Moses told us that we couldn't eat certain things. Are we allowed to eat those anymore or not? And so in the church at Corinth are many people who had different ideas about what you could and could not do, just like we might have in this room this morning. We might have people who all love Jesus, but yet differ on whether or not we can do this or that because God's word doesn't 100% White, tell us what we are to do. Now, what Paul's doing is he's trying to share the gospel with them one more time that they might come to the grips of understanding that it ain't about you. Church isn't about you. Coming here this morning while you benefit from it, it ain't about you. Church, as much as you employ me, it ain't about me. We gather together not for what we get, but we gather together to give. Not only to encourage one another and to train one another and to teach one another and to provoke one another, but to also encourage one another to go out into the world and talk about Jesus for once. And so church is a gathering together to say, it's not about us, it's about Jesus and what he's done for us. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on that. Am I about to lose batteries? Thank you, brother. See, if I didn't have long sermons, we wouldn't have to do this. Thank you, brother. But I want to show you this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Look at what Paul says. And remember, it's not about individuals. It's about Christ. Now I pause. Now, what we see in verse 23, as Paul continues to write, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. What Paul shows us first, I mean, if you're taking notes and you should take notes, point number one is we see liberty versus mission. Liberty versus mission in verses 23 and 24. Paul writes and says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Listen, what, what Paul starts with is the truth that we have a lot of freedom in Jesus. That, 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 just so you know, that's a good thing. It, it, it's good to have freedom in Christ. Uh, it's good. And, and you should really be excited about freedom in Jesus because that means that, means that living for him is not a to-do list. Oh, oh, oh. Did you show up here thinking that I was going to give you the to-do list? Because you know that the gospel is not that, right? You know, you know that you weren't saved to a checklist. 
God is not simply saving people so he can give you tasks to do and things not to do. Because if that was the case, then it would be helpful if he just gave us all of that at the front end. But a relationship with Jesus is not primarily don't do this or that. You were not saved to a cosmic checklist. You were saved to worship and adoration of the one true king. And in that worship of the king, there is great freedom. He has loosed the bonds of sin. Uh, yeah, you, you and I need that because we are chained to sin apart from Christ. We are chained to it. We can't do anything but it. That's all, all we do is sin, baby. That's all we do apart from Jesus. And so when we were saved, we were saved by Christ into adoration of him, not to a cosmic do and don't list. We live it out. We live out our faithfulness to Christ, but we're not primarily having a tote board in heaven where we're just trying to get as many gold stars before we go. We're saved into worship of the king who set us free from sin. And that's good news. I'm sorry, dads. I'm sorry if you showed up here this morning wanting a good dad talk. I'm going to help you with the good dad talk. You're a sinner and you need Jesus. There's your dad talk. Dads, you need to trust in Jesus, dads. And we need to live for him, not because we have a to-do list, but because our king has set us free. And, oh, why would we want to do anything else than love him and honor him? Dads, why would we want to do anything else than other than love Jesus and honor him? You know what? Jesus didn't save us just to make us moral. He saved us to make us worshipers of him. And here, Paul starts with the fact that all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And then he repeats it. All things are lawful. And then he defines it a little bit more, but not all things build up. For something to be helpful, that means advantageous to accomplishing some purpose. Listen, all things are lawful. We have freedom in Christ, but not all things build people up. Not all things accomplish the purpose by which we've been saved to accomplish. And so we have to realize that not everything we do in our freedom could be advantageous or building up to a completion that God has for us. There is a difference between having the right to do something and it being right to do it. He says not all things are helpful, not all things build up. And so while we have freedom in Christ, we're ultimately bound to the mission of Jesus over our liberty. By the way, which is what Paul's been saying the entire time he's been writing. Remember chapters 8 and 9. Paul said, I had a lot of rights as an apostle. I could have had a wife. You all could have paid me to do these things. He says, but I gave them up. Why? Because his liberty was not more important than the mission. The mission of Christ outweighed any rights he had. And I'm telling us this morning as Christians, our liberty is great in Christ, but what's more important than anything is the mission of Jesus, to see people come to know him as Lord and Savior. That is more important than any right I have as a child. And so in the end, Paul's telling us that there's a difference between doing what is our right to do and what is actually right to do. 
While all things may be lawful, not all things build up our faith or help others. And so the gospel obliterates any selfishness as Christians that we might have. The gospel comes and it obliterates obliterates selfishness because we naturally, apart from God, live for ourselves and to get for us. Guess what the gospel does? Guess what Jesus does? He sets us free from selfishness, from wanting it my way. And so guess what Christians should do? If, if the gospel obliterates selfishness, what should Christians do? Be selfless. Catch me? Selfless. Uh, I don't do a good job of this sometimes. <laughs> because as Christians, we can become very much about us. Getting what we want, what we think we deserve. The gospel obliterates self-centered living. It obliterates it. Selfishness has no place in the Christian heart. You know why? Because Jesus demonstrated selflessness when he came on the cross. He died in our place. He gave himself up. He sacrificed. That was a selfless act. And why, as Christians, would we believe we'd be any different? So if we've been rescued by the gospel, we've been rescued by Christ, we've been saved by this glorious truth about who Jesus is, and the gospel obliterates selfishness, guess what Paul is calling the church in Corinth to? Stop being selfish. Because guess what all the divisions and all the backbiting and all the gossiping that's going on in the church, guess what it's about? Selfishness. Me looking good or me putting someone else down or me striving for what I want. And I'm telling you, there is no place in God's church for selfishness in Christians. Because we've been set free from that. We've been rescued from that. So mission of Jesus overweighs liberty, right? We may have rights, but we should be willing to give them up that the mission of Christ might go forward. Number two, liberty versus mission was number one. Number two is all things are lawful. Paul doesn't deny the fact that we have freedom in Christ, and he shows that in two scenarios. Look at what he says in verse 25. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. If you're here for the first time, that's weird. You don't know what we just talked about. This issue to do with meat has been going on in the Corinthian church for a while, and Paul is addressing it. There are some in the church who think that if meat was offered as a sacrifice in pagan idolatrous worship, right, because they had idols to false gods, they would sacrifice animals on it, well, guess what? They used everything. They didn't throw stuff away. And so after the, after the animal was sacrificed, the meat from that animal would be taken off and sold in the market so that people could eat. So they would offer up sacrifices of meat on pagan false god idols. Some in the church at Corinth said, you can't eat that. It's tainted. It's been offered in worship to a false god. If you eat it, you're basically saying false gods are real. There were others in the church saying, last time I checked, that's just beef. Last time I checked, whether you offer to a fake God or not, it's still just beef. I can eat that. I'm not bound to those laws any longer. I'm a Christian. I've been saved by Christ. I don't have to, I don't have to abide by those laws. I'm free in him. What do we do? You can and you can't. Who wins? Well, Paul gives you two scenarios. He says, because we have freedom in Christ, because we are free in him, he says, whatever is sold in the meat market, eat it without raising any question on the ground of conscience. 
Okay, so if you're the one who said it's lawful to eat, then when you go to the market to go buy meat, you ain't got to ask a lot of questions about where it came from. It's, if it's there and it's for sale and it's still fresh, you can get it. You can eat it. Yay, freedom for all the beef people, right? The beef people are like, yay, we can eat that. He says you can eat in the marketplace because it doesn't matter what it was sacrificed to. It doesn't matter what happened to the meat. And it's impossible to know what happened to all those pieces of meat. When you go to the marketplace, you are free in Jesus. You don't have to ask a lot of questions. Just buy it and eat it. Which, by the way, was totally contrary to what the Jewish people were used to because they asked questions of everything. But in this scenario, in the marketplace, Paul says, eat it without raising any questions. Don't feel the need to interrogate about where it came from. For Paul, there was no reason to question because ultimately it didn't matter for Paul where it came from. For Christians, there's freedom in Jesus and it didn't violate scripture. So why ask a lot of questions? And why was it okay then? And then Paul's going to do something that you just know Paul's going to do. Because Paul's not about just giving his advice, is he? Paul always wants to connect it back to what God says. And so he quotes Psalm 24, verse 1. He says in verse 26, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That is scripture, y'all. That is Psalm 24, verse 1. Paul's saying, this isn't my idea. God is saying this. You, know what? you want to know why it's okay just to go grab some meat and eat it from the marketplace? You want to know why? Because it's all from God's hand. He gave it. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. He made the earth good. It's not bad to eat it. God made it. He made the little animal, whatever it was. Right? It's not bad. He made it. It all came from his hand to begin with. And so for Paul, the picture is when you eat freely, it's, it's demonstrating, it's showing that God is a good creating God. And everything he gives is by his good hand. Okay, just in case one scenario wasn't enough for you, he gives you a second one. He talked about the marketplace the first time. Now he's talking about the meal at home, if someone invited you over to their house. He says, if one of the unbelievers, in verse 27, invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So in the marketplace, we have freedom in Christ. You go ahead and grab whatever you want. Eat that meat. It's fine. It's from God's hand. Then he says, now if you go to someone's home and they have a meal for you, don't go in there asking 20 questions about where the meat came from. Although, listen, if you invite me over, I may ask you. And it's not because I believe it's unlawful for me to eat. I just don't know where you got that meat from. I want to make sure my cats are still at home. <laughs> but he says if someone invites you over for a meal, and he says you are disposed to go, which means if you desire to go, right? So if so, <laughs> this isn't talking about a, a meal where you're being forced at gunpoint. He's talking about if you, have, if you get invited over for a meal at someone's house and you desire to go, then go and eat whatever they place before you. Don't ask 20 questions. Don't interrogate. Just eat it. You're free in Jesus. It's okay. But, uh-oh, verse 28, it can't be that simple, can it? Because otherwise there would be no problems. But there are issues, right? We know that there are people in the church who believe it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols because they're Gentiles most likely. And they never grew up with food restrictions. They ate whatever they wanted. But the Jewish people in the church are still struggling with this. That's great, Gentiles. I'm glad you all are for it. But we've been told our whole life we don't eat that stuff. 
and now you're telling me to eat it. You see the problem? See the struggle? It's still not going away, but Paul has said you're free in Jesus, but, and this is where it's not about you or me. This is where it's off of the individual and onto the other, thinking of others more than yourself. And here he shows mission over liberty, verses 28 through 30. He says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So he says, you have freedom in Christ. If you go to the marketplace, buy meat and eat it. It's fine. Don't ask questions. If someone invites you over to their house, they set meat before you, eat it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But if someone invites you over and they tell you this meat has been offered to an idol, don't eat it. Now, why would he say that? Why not? Paul, you've been telling us all along we're free. Why, Paul? Think about this. If you go to someone's house and without prompting, they tell you this meat was sacrificed to an idol, what probably concerns them? The meat was sacrificed to an idol. It probably bothers them. Otherwise, why tell you? The one who brings it up is probably one who's bothered by it in some form or fashion or is careful or concerned about this. In which case, Paul says, don't eat it because you don't want to harm them. If it bothers them, and it probably does because they brought it up, then don't eat it. Why? Because it ain't about your liberty. It's not about your rights. It's about your love and concern for the building up of someone else. You get what I'm saying? If you're just in the marketplace, eat up. If someone invites you over and they don't bring up meat sacrificed to idols, then eat up, baby. But if you go to someone's house and they say, oh, by the way, that meat's been sacrificed to an idol, you probably shouldn't eat it. Because in eating it, you'll offend them. You might harm them. You get what I'm saying? Mission over liberty. The mission of Christ is greater than the right I have to eat that thing. You got me? Just so you know, we run into this stuff all the time, folks. We're living among Christians who don't agree on everything. And just so you know, I'm kind of glad about that because this would be a really dry place if we all agreed on everything. But in this room, even in this room right now, we differ on certain things about what is lawful and what's not. For some of us, doing certain things are not lawful, and for others, it is. And so we wrestle with this today in many different ways. But here what Paul is teaching us is the age-old truth that mission trumps liberty. He tells them, do not eat it. Paul speaks of mission as being supreme over our personal rights. And then he says this, here's the reason why we don't eat it. He says, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. Right? You give it up for the good of the other person. Paul's not saying it's wrong to eat meat in and of itself, right? He's told us that over and over again. He even tells us that in verse 29. He says, I do not mean your conscience, but his, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? He's not saying it's bad for me to do it if I do it. It's not unlawful for me to do it. It's perfectly lawful, but yet he abstains from eating because in this scenario, it does not build up his brother and it could be harmful to his brother's faith. 
And verse 30 shows us, he says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Paul mentions to us this truth that even when doing something that you have the right to do, it could lead to people speaking poorly of you. So what do we do as Christians? We do everything we can to love others greater than ourselves. We do everything we can to consider their feelings and their faith over ours. We do everything we can to think of others before we think of ourselves. And what Paul says, it is better for us as Christians to abstain from things that are perfectly lawful for, to, uh, for us to do if we can avoid offending other people and, and avoid giving an occasion for people to speak poorly of us. You say, that's not fair, Jason. I should be allowed to do whatever I want. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're part of this family. Because if God has made you a part of this family, then you're responsible for the others among you, not just yourself. We're responsible for each other. We're supposed to help each other. And that means I may have to think of what's best for you over what I want. I may have to think what's best for your good over what I want. Because that's what Jesus did. He sacrificed himself. He gave himself for us. So what's the mission? Verses 31 through 33. So we have liberty versus mission. We have all things are lawful. We have mission over liberty. And now we have the mission itself. You want to know what, it, what we're about? Here it is. Here's what Paul gives you as guidance for living out your Christian life. You ready for this? If you're a Christian in the room, here is your guidance from Paul, from God, on how to live your daily life. Number one, do all for the glory of God. Do all for the glory of God. Verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. By the way, that includes everything. Eating, drinking, and then he says, and whatever. I love the fact that Paul just includes that, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That means that the ultimate mission is to what? Glorify God. The ultimate mission for us as Christians is not us. It's glorifying God. Do everything, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And you ask yourself, well, what is the glory of God? What does that even mean? Do it all for the glory of God. Well, Sam Storms puts it this way, quote, to glorify God is to declare, draw attention to, or publicly announce and advertise his glory. To glorify God is to declare, draw attention to, or publicly announce and advertise his glory. And his glory is his worth. So if I were to say this quote again, to glorify God is to declare, draw attention to, publicly announce, or advertise God's worth to the world. That's what it means to glorify God. What it means to glorify God is everything you do in your life, everything you say, everything you eat, everything you drink, every action you do, should be to point people, publicly advertise to everyone that God is worth everything. He's worth it all. He's worth me giving up my liberties for. He's worth me giving up my own selfish pursuits for. He is worth that. He's worth loving other people more than myself. He's worth not getting credit 
for everything. He's worth being mistreated in this world. He's worth it. That's what it means to glorify God. Paul says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, draw attention to the surpassing worth of God in everything you do. Guess what, v, guess what vacation Bible school should be? Vacation Bible school should be pointing publicly, advertising to the entire community that Jesus is worth all of this. He's worth teaching children about the glory of God. He's worth teaching people the truth so that, so that children might be saved. He's worth all that effort. Are you going to have to sacrifice as a worker? Yeah. Are you going to have to put your, your own stuff aside for that weekend? Yes, you're going to have to do that. But it is supremely worth it. To glorify God, he is worth all of that. And just so you know, glorifying God is not compartmentalized to just Sunday mornings. Glorifying God doesn't just start and end as soon as we walk out these doors. Glorifying God is the daily pursuit of showing that he is worth everything you do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday also. Because he's worth those days too. And he's worth those sacrifices too. And he's worth with putting up with all those jokers you work with. He's worth all of that. He's worth it for you to give up for yourself for the good of someone else. Mission over liberty. And our mission is to glorify God. Do everything for the glory of God. Number two, give no offense. He says in verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So give no offense. As Christians, we seek to do everything we can to build up others' faith as opposed to destroy it or put it down. And so we do all for the glory of God, and we do so by giving no offense. We live in such a way as we consider others more than ourselves. Number three, consider others greater than ourselves that they may be saved. There is a purpose behind why we do these things. We consider others greater than ourselves because we desire for them to what? Be saved. You know why we glorify God? to point other people to his surpassing worth that they might worship him too. So we do everything for the glory of God, considering others greater than ourselves, that they may be saved for the purpose of them being saved. Not so we can go, hey, look how selfless I was. You all see that? Did you all see how I let that person sit in my spot? Did you see that? Everybody get a picture of it? Here, I'll take one for you, and I'll post it on Facebook for you. I can show you how selfless I'm being. No, I do it all so that they might be saved. Not so I can get credit, not so I can feel good. I do it all because God is worth it, and I want them to be saved. I was hoping for a larger amen off that one. So, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll go back. And I've got preachers in the room who know how to, who know how to say amen. So I don't want to see this happen again. But we glorify God in everything we do. We glorify God by being selfless, considering others greater than ourselves, caring about them over our own needs and wants and desires and rights. And we do so so that they might also trust in the king who has rescued us. Amen. That's, why we have, that's why we have church, y'all. We should just stay home if we're not about that. If you're not about the glorifying of God, if you're not about people being saved, then just stay home. I meant to do that. I appreciate it, bud. You, your glass, I got your glasses right here. Now that you say that, I got them right here for you. 
I'm, I'm not trying to be harsh. You understand? I love you, brother. There you go. There you go. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be mean, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. All I'm saying is we will not grow as a church. We will not impact the kingdom of God if we are not willing to give up everything for him. And I mean everything. I mean all of our own dreams and desires, all of your ideas about what it means to lead the church and how it's going to look, all of our kingdoms, unless we're willing to give them all up, and I'm including me in that too, unless we're willing to give it all up, we will not grow as a church. We will not impact the kingdom of God unless we're willing to say, God, we will give it all up for you right now. I will give up a weekend. I will give up a weekend to teach children about Christ if it means that the kingdom will grow. I will give up time to go and talk to my neighbors about the fact that Christ has saved me. He's worth that. I'll give up my time in service to the Lord because he's worth it, even if it means I have to sacrifice for myself. Even if it means i got to give up my own agenda and my own little kingdom. He's worth it. And folks, if we're not willing to do that as a church, why would we ever expect anyone to want to come here and be a part of this? But I'm telling you, if we're willing to hold everything loosely, to say, God, our lives are blank checks for you. Whatever you want to write on us, do it. If we're willing to do that, if we're willing to sacrifice, if we're willing to care about others more than ourselves so that they might be saved, can I tell you what? God will grow his church. God will grow it. People will be saved. People will trust in Jesus. They'll follow him in baptism. They'll unite with a family. They will serve him and live for him and walk in godliness all because we glorified God above ourselves. The question I have is, are you in? Does that sound good? Would you want to be a part of something that looked like that? Would you want to be a part of something that wasn't just about did we do the right thing in the right order or whether we were part of giving up and sacrificing our very lives for the fact that God is worth all of that? Are you in? Because if you are, God will do unbelievable things. But it can't be about your group and then my group and then their group. It's got to be about us together as Christians. If you are a Christian in the room and you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, then you have been set forward on this mission to see him glorified in everything so that people might be saved. And I don't know about you, but that's a good church. And that's something worth investing your life in. So I don't know about you. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you've come here because someone dragged you here and you were supposed to be here. I don't know if you came here because you get paid to be here. I don't know if you came here because you have responsibilities. I don't know if you came here because it just seemed like the right thing to do. I don't know if you came here because you love this place and you want to be a part of what's happening in the kingdom of God. I don't know why you came in, but my hope is you'll see that what you need more than anything in this world is the rescue of Christ from your sin. That as a sinner, Jesus died over 2,000 years ago to rescue you from the depths of your sin. And if you place your trust in his work on the cross, his life, death, and resurrection, if you put your trust in him and not in your own efforts, and you seek the forgiveness of God for your sins, the Bible says he will forgive your sin, and he will set you free. 
If you're in this room and you're trusting in your own efforts to be saved, I'm encouraging you to stop. You can't do it. Trust in Jesus alone. Secondly, if you're a Christian in the room, I don't know how you view church. I don't know what you think about why we gather together. But this morning, what I hope you walk away with as Christians is that you are free in Jesus. You've been set free by Christ. And you have many privileges that go along with being a child of the almighty God. But church life is not about us. As Christians, we should demonstrate to a lost world sacrifice and selflessness, thinking of others above ourselves. Because I'm telling you what, in a world like this, that will stand out like a sore thumb. And while you're doing that, don't point to yourself and go, look what I gave up. But while you're sacrificing, you tell them about the Jesus that's worth giving it all up for. You tell them about the fact that he rescued you from selfishness, and he'll do the same thing for them. You tell them that he rescued you from the depths of your sin, and he can rescue them too. Do everything for the glory of God that they may be saved. And if we as Christians in this room, as part of this family, are all together living out, trying to glorify God in everything we do, pointing them to Jesus that they may be saved, I'm telling you, God will rescue souls. I hope you want to be a part of that. I hope you're ready to do that. Because Jesus is worth everything. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that Christ is supreme. I thank you, Lord, that while we are sinners, you have forgiven us through Jesus. That as Christians, we have been able to, to see the beauty of forgiveness. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room. God, I pray every single heart in this room is trusting in Christ, not in themselves, not in their own efforts. God, I pray you will work in every heart in this room to show that Jesus is supremely beautiful and his death on the cross has purchased everything we ever need. So, Lord, I pray you'll forgive. I pray people will seek after you, God. I pray you'll draw them to yourself and that they might repent and trust in you. Lord, I pray today you might work in the hearts of these people that, that Lord, Christians might be baptized for the first time or, or Christians might join a church and be part of a family. God, I pray that you would help us as Christians to walk in Christ-likeness, to honor and glorify him, to live in holiness, not because of what we get, but because of who it proclaims. And Lord, I pray that you would help every heart in this room to treasure Jesus above everything else. God, help us as Christians to do all for the glory of your name. And help us, God, to think of others greater than ourselves, that they might be saved. Lord, as Paul ended his letter, Lord, may we be imitators of you. God, may we be imitators of your son. May we follow after his example. The one who was the king above all kings, who would stoop to become a man and would die a criminal's death on a cross. How much lower could you get, Lord? And yet you did it for us. May we have that mind in us as Christians. Oh, Lord, I pray all of our hearts declare this morning that you are worth all of it. You're worth giving everything up for. May you be glorified. We ask it all in Jesus' name.